1: Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Violin Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Mugala, where I get to interview violinists from around the world. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and uh, please make sure to subscribe and also make sure to give the podcast five stars. We really, really appreciate that. My guest today is a violinist who is a current student at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, Massachusetts, and is a prize winner of several competitions in the Dallas area. Please let me welcome Nikki Nagavi. Nikki, it's great to have you on the podcast. First time meeting, but always pleasure to making a new friend today.
0: Hi, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me today.
1: Absolutely. So let's get to know you a little bit. Nikki, where are you from? And uh, how would you end up in music? How would you end up uh, playing the violin?
0: Sure, yeah. So I'm originally Persian. My entire family is uh, from Iran. They immigrated here, most of them up in around the 70s. And uh, I was born in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I grew up, you know, my parents wanted to put me in, you know, see what i kind of meshed with you know sports gymnastics some music and um so at the end of the day music was really what stuck with me and i didn't do any of the other things
1: so music was like a really integral part of your life from from a very early age what what age did you start the violin and was that your decision was that your parents decision tell me about that
0: yeah so um even before I was born, I know that my parents, they really loved classical music. Uh, Neither of them are musicians, but they've just really, they loved like the sound of the violin, the piano. And um, so when I was born, I think they they had an idea that I would do that, you know, growing up. And so um, they put me in music lessons at age four. They gave me the choice of the violin or the piano and I chose the violin, I'm glad I did. Amazing choice, Um, amazing choice. so yeah, I, I was playing since then. There were a lot of times um, throughout my youth where you know, of course, I didn't want to practice. Still today, <laughs> I don't always want to practice. Um, but I mean, there were a lot of tipping points where I was you know about to quit. I just wanted to hang out with my friends. Um, but there was just always something about it, a string that never let go. I just held on to that, and I'm just really glad I did.
1: Yeah, it's always trying to convince yourself at a very early age to practice, to continue practicing. I know that me as an educator and a teacher, I always tell, even through like these online lessons that I've been doing with my students, like, hey, if you if you survive these 30 minutes of your lesson, there's a soccer ball waiting for you outside. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's always like, it's actually, it's, it's very funny because a lot of it is like, you know, being on board with the parents, the parents really making sure that, you know, the parents and the teachers have the same goals and seeing if the, you know, it's all, all hands on deck for those students to succeed. So, right. Nikki, definitely want to touch base on your your competition experience. I know a lot of people are interested in practice tips and advice, and I always like sharing like little bits and pieces and pick you know brains of like my guests. So, mm-hmm. let's start with that. You actually have an, an enormous following on instagram over forty-two thousand followers on instagram and a lot of those videos that you know and i'm a follower as well and a lot of those videos are you know self-motivation videos and it's also kind of like a kind of like a practice vlog in the sense that you're working on certain pieces at certain times in your life and can you just talk about how that came to be and what the and what the idea of the practice vlog came about
0: Sure, yeah. Um, So I started it about two years ago. Um, It was very private. I allowed maybe six of my friends to follow it and made sure none of them are musicians so that no one could judge me. Um, And, you know, the quality of videos and stuff weren't so good back then. But one day I just kind of decided to, for fun, like, I think it was like a video on a staccato. And I, I, I did a little research on my own about it, watched some, you know, what, like, so many renowned pedagog, pedago, pedagogues have to say, pedagogues had to say about it. And, you know, I kind of like formulated my own response to practicing it. And I edited the video on iMovie and, um, it was really all low key. And I posted it for, you know, an audience of zero musicians. Um, but all my friends, they, they were like commenting, uh, Nikki go public, Nikki, why are you like leaving this and not, you know, telling the public about this, all these tips and stuff. And so After a little bit of thinking, I said, "Why not?" Honestly, what do I have to lose? It's okay. I know I'm not perfect, and I know a lot of people aren't. Like, not no one is perfect, but at the same time, I'm not really. I wasn't too afraid of letting people know that, Um, and so I went public. And never did I ever think that I would have over. I think I have like forty-seven thousand now, and I had no idea that would happen. Um, And so. As I began to post more and more, I saw that the growth happens the most when I was posting consistently. So, you know, maybe once a day or once every two days. Um, I think people like to see a lot of that consistency. Um, it serves as a great motivation for their own practice, and uh, I really value that. I and the, I think the purpose, the guiding light of this account really kind of became clear more in the past few months than it was in its earlier stages and um, my goal in you know creating this account really has become a way you know like a, an avenue for people to to see that not everyone you know has to always show up their best you know it's the goal to always improve and always strive to be better but on that note you have to have faults to be better so um, I I definitely, I, I mean, I don't hesitate to repost parts of my music. You know, if I started playing a piece three days ago, you know, I might post it and say, "These are what I feel like I need to work on," and this is what I think that I've done well so far. Um, then maybe a week or two later, after I post some other things in between, I'll repost the same section. Um, and my followers, you know, they've seen that already. But I really like them to be able to see the progress and. Uh, I feel the best personally when some of my followers are uh, they make like they like, might leave a comment that's saying, um, oh, I remember this from, you know, a month ago, it's so much better or something like that. And I feel like for me, those comments mean so much. And I feel like for all of my followers, it also means so much um, for them to see like, yes, you have to start from somewhere in order to make it better.
1: Yeah, we all came from somewhere, right? We all, you know, it, it's not like we came out of the womb learning how to play and right, hold a wooden yeah. box on our on our shoulder to make a sound, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it sounds like that the Instagram vlog, practice vlog was like a happy accident. You just kind of just wanted to post stuff for your own personal use and yes. kind of like see what happens. And then, you know, and then people kind of, you know, I, I've heard somewhere that your vibe attracts your tribe. So it's yeah. like, You know, you're, you know, down to earth person just by watching your videos and phenomenal player. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I think when it comes to practice vlogs, we have to understand, we have to recognize our faults at first and in order for us to get better, we have to know what kind of mistakes we're making. And that actually is a good leeway into practicing. So as you post those videos or as you are practicing during this time, what are some of the things that you do focus on or like, what have been like a couple of things that you've been focusing on lately that's been really helping you improve, whether it's intonation, you know, musicality, etc.?
0: Yeah. So, um, I don't, I think personally, I might be a little strange for enjoying this, but I'm, I'm very much the type of person who uh, I like to have things kind of very structured and laid out um, so that it's, it's very easy to follow. And I think that a parallel to practicing like music in that sense is kind of, you know, I, I really enjoy like using like slow practice and using rhythms and, you know, a bunch of like a checklist to check off um, practicing a certain passage. And seeing that result, like that uh, much cleaner and much more controlled result in a short amount of time. I think that's the most motivational thing for me um, as far as like practicing on something that's technically very difficult. Um, Also, taking these videos, I I try to stay as completely honest as I can and saying this is none of my videos are very, very few of them are I post. Uh, from the first take, you know, I do post a lot of like recordings from like actual, you know, like professional recording sessions. But uh, when I'm practicing in my own home and doing the practice blogs, I really like try to over and over again. Um, I have so much like in my and I record this on my iPhone. So, you know, I usually put my iPhone on the stand and, uh, you know, I'll press record play. Oh wait, I messed up. Sorry, wait. messed up again. Oh wait, I messed up again. And um, it turns
1: I, out you're like one hour later, and you have like 20 takes on your phone, yeah. and then you have to like to delete like the other ones. Exactly, yeah. yeah, I
0: like scroll all the way down, and delete everything. My phone runs out of storage almost once a week because of this. Yeah, um, preach. It's, it's yeah. I'm
1: like that all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean, the thing about it, I think that that in itself is such a good like resource to use recording yourself while you practice. Whether or not you're planning to post it anywhere, but really acting like you are or like planning to send it to your teacher or you know, just uh show it to somebody next to you. Because uh when you practice, I think well personally when I practice and and I'm not really thinking about like every single detail and how I want every single thing to sound like I might go and I might say, okay, I played the notes. That was good. Let me move on to the next section. But when I have a camera in front of me, somehow like my mind totally switches gears and I, I start thinking, wait, that note was not held long enough or my vibrato was not even on this note. For example, um, just the smallest things which you, it just, I think, I think it's a really, really great resource to take advantage of that a lot of people don't. Um, that can just take their playing to the next level and actually their, their way of thinking about playing as well. So I think that recording is really beneficial to practicing.
1: Awesome. It's like, I know for me, and maybe you can comment a little bit on this, that whenever I listen to myself record and I, I don't know, I take like maybe four or five takes and then like the mistakes are amplified <laughs> in my ear because a lot of the times I'm, you know, we've been working on concerto, sonata, solo sonata, whatever it is for an X amount of time. And, you know, you're posting it for the first time on Instagram or social media, but, you know, you've been working on it for like, Months, and I think uh, something a, a common topic that that we 've been discussing on the podcast here is perception versus reality that you know our perception of what may need more vibrato or what may need um, better intonation could be different from the audience 's perspective and I think recording yeah, it helps us identify our mistakes, but at the same time it 's just to help us improve and it 's just a process and it 's practicing so Thank you for sharing all that. I, I love, I love everything you said. But uh, one of the things I do want to talk about is your, you know, your time at NEC. Uh, Boston is one of my favorite towns. I spent some period in, uh, in Boston for my undergrad. But luckily, I'm still based in Massachusetts, and I'm grateful. And I want to talk about your experience at NEC. What, you know, you just finished your freshman year and you're also part of the bpyo which we'll get to in a moment as well but talk about your first year um freshman year nec experience and what that was like for you moving from dallas
0: yeah so um i i come from a only child family i'm you know completely kind of one alone i feel like i've had this sort of like independence about me uh in the past few years growing up so the move to Boston was not bad at all for me. I had a really easy time getting there, um, just logistics-wise. And uh, throughout my whole year, I, I think for better or for worse, my schedule just kept getting packed and packed and packed and packed. Yep. Um, maybe more for the better. I, I really I do appreciate being busy, and I like having deadlines and everything being laid out, having a schedule. I also um, – so, so basically – during my time there for most of my time there i was working like three different jobs um i was in the boston philharmonic youth orchestra i was playing conducting orchestras at nec of course you know all the classes all the performances all the practice that you know they require for violin majors there um yeah so i mean i was like teaching i was working in the welcome center there i was also in like some leadership organizations such as the student leadership council and the residence hall association uh, and i always had like i i don't really use google calendar for like the day-to-day activities at school but like i always had a little planner walking around with me and my friends would say, oh hey, yeah i'm There's i'm Nikki reading her planner, <laughs> getting up again yeah Goodbye. you know
1: i'm i'm old school like that too for some reason for me i mean i've i've transitioned into like like iCal and google calendar and stuff but i'm i'm a i'm a paper pen kind of person like i paper pencil paper pencil you know uh, paper pencil kind of person because like i like something like physical in front of me that i can like erase instead of having to you know (laughs) type it out i i feel i feel you
0: yeah it's so like satisfying you know you get that done you cross it out
1: awesome do you uh totally random question but i know that we're like you know classical music is heading towards using ipads and you know apple pens and ipads and using are you are you a user of like like ipad like scores and do you use that with like the with the pedal
0: i don't you don't i have a lot of friends who do and i think it i mean i totally think it's a great resource that is out there but for my personal purposes i wouldn't really have much use for it I think for people, you know, who are gigging around and hmm. have a lot of different music that they need to keep with them at all times, then it's definitely a really great thing to have. But not for myself.
1: Yeah, and that goes back to the question of like, is you know, technology more efficient than having you know paper and pen? Like, even you know, you can write the same thing down on a calendar. You know, you'll remember it, and the act of writing it down, you'll remember it a lot more, in my opinion, yeah. at least. Um, so boston Boston's a great town it's a very very big classical music hub and there are a lot of great players um in that city so let's talk about like what a typical day like would be for an nec student so you said you were juggling with a bunch of jobs and your schedule filled up like what would a typical day at nec look like for you
0: yeah so i would wake up in the morning let's say it's a Monday morning, uh, right after the weekend, try to get an early night. We'll see about that. Um, But uh, so I wake up in the morning around eight or so orchestra rehearsal starting at nine all the way until 12 p.m. You know, after I I get ready, eat breakfast, Uh, they have a great cafeteria. I personally really like it. So then um, orchestra at 12. And then all of our classes are between 12 to 5 p.m. All of our academic classes. So I might have, you know, solfege and uh, tonal practice, which is what we call music theory, as well as keyboard for these three days. And I I might have a language course as well. So yeah, and so, uh, you know, I'll finish those things. And then 5pm and beyond, that's kind of my time for, oh, maybe, you know, I have a gig scheduled. So uh, and actually, I did a few at Berkeley um, with their conducting orchestra. So I, you know, would walk to Berkeley, um, or maybe I had some grocery shopping to do. So I would go to the grocery, like to Trader Joe's, and get some stuff and come back. Um, usually around seven to eight p.m. is when I start my practice, and that I tried to make it earlier when I could, but it just wasn't possible a lot of the times. Yeah. So um, around, you know, from then all the way until a lot of nights all the way until midnight, I would stay in the practice um, rooms, the practice area, uh, which is when they kicked us out at midnight. And then I'd come back to my dorm, um, get ready for your bed and get ready for the next day.
1: So midnight is the official cutoff line for, you know, people getting kicked out of the practice room. I know for me, when I was at Boston Conservatory and it was like, I think they, back then it was like 2 a.m. It was something oh, ridiculous okay. like that. But yeah, I think, um, that actually is a good segue into something I want to talk about is, um, you know, physical and mental health when, when you are practicing that many hours and you have a lot to juggle with. And some, some people are night owls. And if you are, I applaud you. Cause I, <laughs> I'm a morning, I'm an early bird and I, I go to bed at 10, like 10 on the dot and I can't practice in the evening. Cause I'm just simply not efficient, mm-hmm. um, Can you, can you share your thoughts on, you know, after a long day and you're trying to force yourself to practice in the practice room, are there any tips that you can offer, you know, young musicians out there who have that kind of schedule? You know, they have a full day of school, then they have extracurricular activities and they have to do homework. And then in addition, they have to practice. Do you have anything that can uh, kind of motivate these young students?
0: Yeah, so I, I definitely think first and foremost, it's always important um, to prioritize your sleep. Like if, if you get one hour done and that's it and it's late and you have to go to bed because you have to wake up early the next morning, take that time to sleep because if you like don't get enough rest, you're kind of, you know, setting the next day up for, you know, not like such a great time and not like even being less productive then. Um I think that a lot of times, when you're on a uh, when you're on a time crunch, or when you're simply, you know, maybe not up to it to stay for a long time in the practice room, um, don't think of it so much as time, but rather uh, accomplishments. So, you know, think, I want to get, you know, these bars done within this movement of this piece, and I, I like really want to get it under my fingers. Um, And then I also want to, you know, go through this one time, slowly, for example. Um, I think that this, like, because once you finish this, you know, it's kind of, it's like a very clear cutoff and you feel accomplished about what you have done. And I think that that's one of the most important things, as I mentioned earlier, to keep one motivated is to see what progress you have done so far. So that, you know, you don't see that it's going to waste at all and actually being very productive. Um, I definitely think that, you know, between measuring time-wise and measuring content-wise of your practice, there's an important balance to strike.
1: I love the word accomplishments. You said the word accomplishments. And usually I say this to my students that you have to have goals set up. But it's also at the end of your practice, what have you accomplished? And celebrating those Tiny little gains, you know. Like if you're trying to vibrate that one note that you recorded yourself on, right? I think that's you know little little baby steps forward is better than trying to go too hard, too fast, and then you end up in the same spot. I know for me that uh, I I love my sleep, and I think sleep actually helps improve your memory in terms of what you practice in the practice room, and. Yeah. I also want to talk about over practicing because that's also an issue, right? And I always try to talk about quality over quantity. Do you have any uh, Do you have any thoughts on, you know, the amount of practice that has worked for you?
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, to be completely honest, I am very, very rarely a culprit of over practicing. So <laughs> okay. um, that it's not something I have as much thought about uh, but i mean seeing my friends in the practice room for hours on end you know and then at the end of the day they come out and i i do think that it's um i'm sorry what was the question again
1: no the question was like what um what is your thought on the amount of time like in, you know we have we talked about quality over quantity so have you shared your can you share your thoughts on like a time where you overpractice and it actually wasn't efficient for you, or if you overpractice and it did work, you know, cause sometimes over practicing does work. So yeah. like, what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. Well, I think that you have to be really well rested and like definitely ready physically and mentally. If you want to put in like a long string of hours. Oh, I definitely think that um, taking breaks in the middle Can be really good too. You know, breaks for a meal, for a snack. Maybe you wanna you know go into the next room and talk to a friend for 20 minutes. Um, Those breaks kind of you know can section it up for you in like a healthy way. And uh, after the end of the day, you know you won't be like where has time gone? Where has time passed? But rather, uh, I like again what we were talking about getting the goals done. Um, On the other hand, I've I've talked a lot about this with people this year and. the The feeling of like getting lost in time while you practice that is like rather than i think I think rather than you know keeping one eye on the clock and one eye on the music um you know constantly measuring how much time has gone by uh it's it's really like important to you know have set times where you you can put on an alarm so that you know you don't overstep with time but you just totally are. immersed in the music. And that is to me, the most productive time. Um, when you just, that that's all you're thinking about and, uh, your, your total, your total attention is on that and nothing else.
1: I like that getting lost in your practicing. It's kind of like, um, so you're kind of like in limbo where you're just practicing and just time around you (laughs) moves and, um, yeah, I, I love that. I, I like that. I'll use that for my for my students as well. Speaking of practice, I want to talk about your practice strategies when it comes to competition preparation. Because you've done you've you've done a few of those in you know back in your hometown of Dallas. So can you speak about some of the competitions that you've done and what it took for you to kind of prepare for those competitions?
0: Sure. I think the most significant competition that I had done um, was, it was a small one called the Collin County Young Artist Competition. And uh, the reason it was so significant in my life is because uh, I remember they they have a junior and senior division um, within the same competition. And I just remember, you know, entering it from my days in the junior division. So, you know, this is like late elementary school, beginning of middle school, and I just, you know, did this competition over and over again. In the beginning, I would never get placed. But then, you know, starting late middle school, I would start to get honorable mention, then third place, second place, first place sometimes, but not a grand prize. Anyway, I did this for eight years. I was to the point where I knew the, like, the administrators of the competition. I knew, like, every single rule about it, everything about it. And my parents also, you know, every single year driving into this the same place it was in a community college um, the same hallway walking in no you know knowing everything about it and then um, the year that I did win my junior year I think that was the eighth time I had entered it and um, it just felt like like when I was younger it just it felt like I could never get to that point but then when I actually did get there I just you know it really made me reflect on like wow look at everything that's happened so on that note i just wanted to stress how you know even if it feels like it's impossible it's definitely possible and this was by no means like the tchaikovsky competition or you know queen elizabeth or anything like that of course yeah it was was just it was kind of like like a local
1: it was like it was like a local thing okay yeah
0: yeah but i mean but to me it felt like the world at the time like it Mm. was because it, it just meant a lot, and it meant that you know persistence does pay off. Um, now, as far as individual competitions and preparing for them, the biggest thing that I tell everyone, as far as nerves and stuff, because that's usually one of the you know biggest problems when you're about to compete, is that you're so nervous, you know, to play, and that this is the one important time. This is the time that actually matters. You're not in the practice room anymore. But, um, and so a lot of people tend to overwork themselves, perhaps in the warm up room or, you know, overstress. Uh, The thing is, and this is, you know, sometimes hard to really take into mind, but what I've really tried to take into mind is that uh, you've done all the work beforehand, the months of preparation beforehand, that's already done and the week before the day before that's if you're expecting to you know get better or like make that time be the difference in whether or not you win that's that's just not going to happen even if you want it to um even if you're meaning for it to. so i think really just i think that that should take the pressure off of a lot of people just realizing i've done everything i can so let me just display to them the work that has already been done instead of stressing about have I done enough work or you know because at the end of the day you've done what you've done and um for a lot of people that is like a, a great deal of work and it's definitely like a great place they've uh, reached personally um and you know when you're in the room and and you're worried about this time being like the one time I mean judges can can realize when someone's playing, when someone really is prepared and when someone really isn't prepared
1: Um, Mm -hmm. at
0: that level. I mean, the musicians, you can tell as a fellow musician. um, And yes, you don't wanna make those mistakes, like those small mistakes that you wouldn't usually make before. However, you're less likely to make those mistakes if you're not stressing on them. Um, One other really quick thing, I, I heard from someone, actually my cousin, Mila Danyari, he's a double bassist up in New York. And he told me once, uh, if I ever feel like I'm about to make a mistake or I'm ever feeling about the song, because I've been in, I've been in a situation like a few times where you know, I'm in front of the judges and I'm I, at first my mind is kind of off, but then I kind of turned my mind to the music and I'm like, oh my God, what if I made a mistake right here? And instead, take that thought out, out of your mind and imagine your tone filling up the space as like a colored like gas, like a purple gas or something. And you just like completely shift your attention to the tone. And I think that the reason that works is that it's such a strong visual um, that it completely takes your attention away from any mental like hiccup that you could be making. I
1: love what you just said. And I love your cousin's advice and focusing on tone. Because we're sometimes we're so caught up in trying to figure out how to play the notes. Right. Mm-hmm. When something is so difficult for us, you know, all we're worrying about is just trying to get that scale all the way to like, you know, X position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I what I what I love about what you said is just like trying to take away the attention of the nerves and the, the anxiety and focusing on something that's positive. And exactly. I love I love exactly what you just said, and I hope that everybody is getting value in this uh, in this interview. And if you're not subscribed yet, please make sure to subscribe and uh, hit those notifications. We really appreciate that. So preparation, preparation, preparation—that's all it takes, right? And you know, when we talked about this on the first episode of the Violent Podcast with Galia Kostner, um, I, w- I want to ask you what it's like, like the decision you make before a competition, how many months prior to the competition do you make that decision where you want to commit or even before the deadline for the application? Like how, what's that conversation like in your head?
0: Yeah. So I think it's really important to think about what else you have during that time. you know, around that time, maybe a month before it already, you know, if you're, if you have some, you know, huge other projects planned, you know, It might seem fine to enter the competition now, but once you get there, the amount of stress that it's going to build upon you might in fact, like make you like your quality of work less on both projects, the project and the competition. So I think that that's one huge question I ask myself. And if so, if I do decide to do it, then I really do try to keep that time of the month, um, like pretty, pretty uh, bare as far as planning anything else um and then once you have decided to enter it you know really you know structuring and seeing okay i have x many months until it has to be to this point Then i you know i and so like taking it maybe week by week saying these three weeks i want it to i want to be able to play like this and then the next three weeks i want to be able to play like this and so on
1: great thanks for sharing your thoughts on that really appreciate that i want to transition into the kind of music you like to play you know, this is a violin podcast. Let's talk about some violin music. What are some of the things that you've been working on lately?
0: Yeah. So, um, well, of course, I'm definitely just still trying to get a lot of repertoire into my belt. I'm currently playing Sigrunerweizen. I was doing some Bach a little earlier. Uh, and um, I'm doing a Beethoven sonata. Uh, oh, which sonata, one? Spring. Oh, um, what a I'm joy. actually going to be playing it for the basically Beethoven uh, festival that's going to be uh, broadcasted virtually in a few weeks from now. It's just a Dallas area festival. And so, but I think that it's really awesome, you know, that somehow, even though with everything going on right now, we're still able to, you know, make progress in our learning and our music. Um, and one one big goal that I've been having recently and something I've kind of realized is that, I want to create music that's like exciting for people who might think before, I don't like classical music. You know, I feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of non-classical musicians might look at classical music and think, Oh, like Mozart, Beethoven, like, Oh, I don't like anything that they have. They've heard maybe like,
1: right. All the white guys. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, anything. And so Mm -hmm. I think that, You know, it's it'd be like a really great way to draw them in by maybe showing that the violin can do more than just that. Um, And they can play more pieces than just classical music. Um, And even the classical music that they can play, you know, it can actually be really exciting and draw a lot of emotions Um, on that note of non classical music. I've wanted to for a while, you know, have like a series of really popular pieces. That's just like doing a cover on the pieces and maybe broadcasting that out and seeing what kind of audience responds to that and what they like about it. I feel like, you know, a lot of music, music is the most powerful in my experience uh, when it conjures up like some kind of a memory. So, you know, if you've heard the music when you're really young, um, it might, you know, remind you of your parents a lot or your home, like the home that you grew up in. Um, If you hear it, you know, from, you know, a time when you were in your 20s or 30s, you know, when you were like, really like young and active and, you know, going out and everything, you know, it might bring back like a joy of jubilancy of that time. And um, I hope that if I can play, you know, songs that really are meaningful to people, then, you know, that'll just connect them on a way deeper level with music than they already are connected.
1: Awesome. And if you're watching, and if you're listening, please like please leave a comment for the next piece that Nikki should do a cover of. I think that'll yes. be really, really awesome. And uh, I would love to collaborate with you. That'll be super fun as well. <laughs> um, so Zingunerweisen, Beethoven Sonata. Uh, so you're doing that for the basically Beethoven mm-hmm. festival. So let's talk about the Beethoven because Beethoven Spring Sonata is a sonata, right? So you're very much playing that with a piano. So you know, how are you planning on doing the, you know, the Beethoven virtually? Are you going to be playing like with the recording or are you going to be playing it live? How, how, how how's that going to work?
0: Yeah. So actually I will be playing it live, um, just with safe distancing, of course, social distancing and six feet apart. The easy thing about this is that it's not, you know, a large chamber group or an orchestra where, you know, you have to be really close so that the people in the back and the people in the front can also connect. But this is between two people. And, um, you know, with everything that's going on, we're gonna have to get kind of creative with positioning perhaps and, you know, ways that we can stay, have eye contact and, you know, with each other so that we can stay together. Um, I've actually never played with this person before and I'm really excited to do that. He's also a native of Dallas. Um, And so we're gonna be rehearsing that at his house maybe uh, in the next few weeks and then recording it at a church locally.
1: Oh, so it'll be a recording.
0: Yeah, it'll be a recording and then it'll be broadcasted as well.
1: Oh, wonderful. Okay. Well, in that case, that, that works perfectly. Great. So I want to talk about the violin pieces that you struggled with, (laughs) 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 meaning (laughs) not, not like, not like in the practice room, but like you were maybe not told to play, but like, it was like maybe like a competition piece and you kind of had no passion for this piece, but you Mm -hmm. had to learn it anyway. Um, Can you share a moment in your life where that happened? If there was one. Mm
0: -hmm. Sure. And how you,
1: and, and how you combat and how you overcome like the not liking it part and growing to practice it and stuff.
0: I wouldn't necessarily say that I've had to compete with a piece that I don't like. Um, actually this is a bit ironic, but I did have some problems with a piece that I really, really did like probably my favorite concerto I've ever played before.
1: And um, what is that? And what is the concerto? The,
0: the Cacheterian concerto. Oh, so, amazing. Right? <laughs> great, so, great concerto. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's so, it's like very passionate. It's very unique in its writing. I think that it's, and it's so fun to play on top of everything else. Um, my problem with it stemmed so i ended up i used this concerto also for like winning like some competitions for my college auditions for a lot of different things um and so some of like when i when i started it was probably like my junior year and um you know back then it was really great and also it's from kind of like a eastern European culture, kind of close to the Middle East, and I'm Iranian. So it was also, it, well, it was Armenian. So he's- Right.
1: American I was just going to say, Catch a Turn has some Armenian blood, right?
0: So, yeah. And it was a little bit similar to my own culture as well. Um, so, you know, it was really, really easy to connect on that stuff. And the first year that I was playing it, you know, great. I never really had problems with it. I loved practicing it as well. Um, but once it got time to my college auditions, by this point, you know, I, I kind of hadn't planned to, you know, start a new piece for my auditions and instead do a bunch of other new Bach on Paganini's and like that for uh, college. However, I decided to keep the concerto the same. And actually, it kind of came to a point of overplaying it, where some professors that I had played for, I played the Catriterian for in the past, uh, remembered how I had played it and actually told me personally when I did auditions for them that, you know, my it didn't play it with as much life as I had in the past, which, you know, you wouldn't really think that the longer you spend on a piece, the more t- like the more, you know, the worse that you could play it. And I think that it, it very much gave me a wake up call that, you know, you might be going up, but then there's a peak and it'll start going down if you play it for too long. Um, And so that was a really big lesson for me to learn that and I, I couldn't really tell either when I was playing it, like those fundamental differences, but now looking back on it, I like will listen to recordings of the different times and I just There's like a certain character to it that kind of gets lost if you keep playing it over and over again. With that being said, I don't think that it's bad to, of course, take a break and come back to the music but the important thing is that there was a big break, and you know that gives you time to focus on other things. But when your attention is for so long on one thing, even if it's something you love, like I love the Cacciatorean Concerto, um, it can definitely start to show some show some detriments.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I agree with a lot of what you said in terms of overplaying a piece. Mm-hmm. I think overplaying a piece. Can also help us, or actually, will will actually be a disservice to us. Excuse me, will be a disservice to us because you know, even though we have comfort in playing the piece over and over again, you know, I heard, I think there was there was a you know member of Boston Symphony who was playing with Joshua Bell one night, and you know he had a, he had a subscri- subscription series concert, like four or five concert, I think it was at Tanglewood or at Boston Symphony Hall, can't remember, but this person said that every single night Joshua Bell played, he played it differently. Same piece, yeah. played it differently every single time, right? It's all, I feel like that's kind of like him also not being bored of the music, right? Mm-hmm. He wants to try something new, do something different. And uh, yeah, I think that also comes into like over-practicing as well. It kind of ties in, you know, hand in hand because if you over-practice something, then you kind of do lose that passion. You lose that fire to, you know, continue making it more interesting and um nikki is there something that you want to talk about like i know that you this is uh you know your first time on the violin podcast hopefully we'll get to have you in the future is there something that you want to say to the audience that you know help inspire them during during this time of you know covid19 quarantine and you know your suggestions or tips and etc
0: sure yeah um I think that right now is such an, I I mean, everyone knows that right now is such an unusual time. And, um, you know, so many people are home and having to take advantage of things they've never had to take advantage of before in order to maybe keep employment or, you know, keep progressing with their own skills. And with this being said, I think that as a musician, growing up in the 21st century where there's so much technology also taking over and, um, you know, it's just, it's not how it was, you know, when all these great pieces were being written. Um, I think that flexibility is something to always keep in mind, uh, for a monetary aspect for, uh, I'm sorry, for a financial aspect and for, you know, like, a employment aspect i think that for a lot of people who do want to go into music um, it's important to be multifaceted in the way that you can transition when you need to to different things not that we're going to have a virus every five years for example well let's let's hope not let's hope not not. and
1: actually i also want to pose a question of like Mm -hmm. how do you think classical music is going to open you know, I think that's also like a big question. And, um, you know, it's rhetorical. I don't expect yeah. you to answer this right away. But for everybody who's watching this video or listening to this podcast, leave a comment. And if you have any ideas on how to reopen, if, it, if it's social distancing or if there's any other creative solutions that we can all come up with um, in the classical music community, we'd love your thoughts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. On, on that note, I feel like there's so much. Uh, maybe that we had been taking it uh, for granted before, you know, live music, just having the option to play with other people and collaborate face to face in real time, not with, a, with the lag of a, a video conference software, for example. Um, I think that definitely there will be social distancing and fewer people maybe in open air spaces. So on that note, it might be you know, kind of like a reawakening to classical music and kind of showing that we can survive, you know, centuries of, you know, through wars, through famines, through civil wars, um, through viruses, music is always there as a sort of remedy for people to hold on to. Right? And I think that especially as things open, um, I kind of imagine music becoming as a sort of smaller and more personal experience so maybe three or four musicians performing a quartet of some sort for a small audience Um, and in that way the audience is able to you know ask questions personally of the performers and notice things it just becomes more special for them and uh, that that there's a stronger bond between the audience and the performance i think that i mean that bond definitely will solidify those listeners as um, long-time audiences of classical music. But on the same note, it might be difficult to um, invite new audiences to explore classical music and create like a bigger platform for people to listen, um, which is why I believe it's so important to try to create content content that appeals to people who are not just longtime listeners, but new and younger audiences as well.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's what the whole purpose of the violin podcast is, is to kind of like break that barrier for people who are, you know, maybe a total beginner or someone who has no idea what the violin's all about and, you know, comes across this podcast and be like, oh, so, you know, these are actually kind of amazing topics that that these people are talking about. And, you know, hopefully if you do like this podcast, share it with people. And now, before we go, I kind of want to talk about your hobbies outside of music, outside of violin, because everybody has interests outside of music. So what are some of your hobbies um, outside of music and um, to kind of like, you know, decompress from your violin?
0: Yeah. So I'm extremely close to my family and I love spending time with them, uh, traveling with them, you know, going out with them. It's the greatest joy to me. I have a little dog. I play with her a lot. Dog, um, that's regular, so cute. <laughs> it's, it's a regular person. I've taken an interest recently. I'm sure a lot of people have been taking interests here and there, but in um interior design i love Ooh. watching and i know my room right now this is my bedroom and it looks very bare
1: yeah yes. well, i was just <laughs> gonna say like how can you be an interior designer and have like blank walls like
0: Nothing. <laughs> yeah i know um actually it's it's part of a project that i'm i'm taking on my room used to be like blue and you know not very cohesive as one unit one like living space so i've actually decided to like kind of strip it bare and start new and um, it's the renaissance it's,
1: of Nick. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a renaissance of your room.
0: The renaissance of Nikki's room period. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. But I, I really like, I love creative outlets in that. And I mean, it kind of goes, it doesn't, you know, it goes hand in hand with music and just, you know, expressing yourself out there. I know it sounds cheesy, but really <laughs> the reason, I mean, why, why continue having new young artists and new recordings to listen to if it's going to be the same exact thing as what we've heard and what has come out hundreds of years ago? Well right? said. Yeah. Well so, said. And so, you know, with these new ideas and new forms of playing and new platforms, which they're uploaded onto, I, I think that's incredibly important. Um, just staying up to date with everything that's going on because classical music and music in general is just, such such an important part of the world
1: well i couldn't say it better myself nikki i think uh you're a fabulous person and it's such a pleasure to meet you and since you're you know in the boston area during the school year you know uh would love to you know connect and also you know work on some projects if if that ever becomes a case so ladies and gentlemen we have Nikki Nagavi. Really appreciate Nikki for you coming on to the Violin Podcast. And if you like what you've heard, please make sure to subscribe, hit those notifications, and also leave a comment and a five star rating. It really helps the podcast grow and also build this amazing Violent Podcast community. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Nikki Nagavi.
0: Yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. And thank you, Eric, for having me.